welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10 season show. Today, we're talking about season seven, episode five, Pledging My Love. Mary, what happened this week? Val and Kenny have a great meeting with some investors, so they plan for a gross little celebration in their little place. Val can live there full-time, part-time, or she and Kenny can just bang there, whatever Val wants. Unfortunately, what she wants is this guy who still has a wife and a son who has a baseball game during celebration time. Kenny shows up at Casa Walsh to beg for Val's forgiveness for missing their date, but she refuses to see him. She gets to decide when he apologizes, and it's tomorrow in his office, and it's gross. <laughs> like, how is this a storyline that we're allowed to have? Yeah, I mean, outside of the main, I don't even know what the main issue, issue is, because it's client and Accountant. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) It's age difference. And it's infidelity. And like just a subsection of all of these things I think put together is it's just he's gross. I don't get it. Yeah, he's manipulative. He. Yeah, I mean. It's just, like, the language that, like, how they speak to each other is not great. I mean, I understand. Valerie is a vixen. Like, I get it. She's hot. She is interested in kissing as many boys as she possibly can. All for that. Kiss as many boys as you want. But the language between the two of them is not good. And I think that's kind of what is... Starting to, like, I'm over it, you know? I'm over the storyline. If it was just about her kissing a a boy, sure. But it's not about that anymore. That's the thing. I feel like, like, that first thing is he shows her an apartment that he got for the two of them. And the first thing that went through my head is, that's a secret apartment. Like, Mm -hmm. you're a secret now. It's, yeah. It's a secret apartment. It's a secret relationship. And... I got really nervous when he said a lot of things, but especially when he said that he leased it in her name with an option to buy. So now not only is it a secret apartment and a secret girlfriend, but now it's all of those things that is in Valerie's name. So not only could it be traced back to Kenny's financials, right, by his wife, but it's also now attached to Valerie in the sense that she's going to be on the hook for it in case anything goes wrong, which we know it will. And also, how did he do that without her signature? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a really good point because this could like – I feel like I'm just being a mature old lady at this point, but this could mess with her credit score. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, red flags everywhere, and she's just not – I think she's seeing them. I think she's choosing to ignore them to be the cool girl. Yeah, I genuinely think she thinks that she has a lot more control than she does and that she wants that control so badly because she's always been able to kind of, you know, use her wiles and her um, her good looks and her confidence for her age 
to kind of gain control in all situations and this is like almost like her biggest challenge yet right like because kenny as dumb as i think he is he's not right Mm -hmm. he's he is well established in his career he has been married for years and has has a what ten seven year old i think is michael who knows but he's he's old enough to not be a baby, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like Kenny has been holding together this life and holding down this life for a while. He's doing things like he's done them before. So while this may not be his, may not be his, you know, 10th extra marital affair could just be his first, but he's done, he's lied before he's done these manipulative things. So Valerie is not different in this equation, right? Like if he can do it to his wife, his high school sweetheart, he can do it to Valerie and he is doing it to Valerie. Oh yeah. Like this I feel like this is gonna blow up very soon. I think like, so too, especially now that Brandon knows. I, we're gonna talk about him going to the Walsh house at like 9 p.m. when we yes. get there. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, this first scene with the secret apartment, speaking of the way that they talk and how gross it is, and everything one of the first comments he makes is how she did so great in this investor meeting because she was maximizing her assets yep very much meaning you wore a mini skirt and a halter top yeah you're hot and you're only going to have a dog in this fight because you're hot and i gotta be honest i don't really know what she was thinking with that outfit because she wears suits we've seen her dress professionally for business so like part of me thinks that it has to do with him that he said like this is how you get the money i think so too and i think it's sort of a this is how val dresses when she's with kenny yeah versus this is how val dresses when she's with colin or when she's with just any of the regular gang like yeah she's trying to get investors interested in her business and I get showing up and wanting to be like hey I'm cool I'm hip I own a nightclub but yeah this very much feels like she's wearing this for Kenny to be like Mm -hmm. I know you're looking at me and nobody else can know that you're looking at me but I want you to look at me while nobody else can know that you're looking at me correct and the reason I think that the outfit matters to your point think about how uncomfortable she felt when Jonesy put her in the outfit to basically dress like a prostitute. I'm not saying she was dressed like a prostitute when she met the investors, but it is airing closer to that end of the spectrum than a three-piece suit, right? And she was extremely uncomfortable then. Well, and yeah, I mean, you could say that, like, this is a costume to make her look like a sexy piece of meat. Right, very Jonesy put her in. Yep, very much like a costume. Yeah, I just, I hated all of it, and I hate the gross apartment, and, like, all of the little foresight things. Like, he talks about how he already put food in the fridge. Yeah, and, like, he wanted to cook her dinner tomorrow night, but she's like, how about I do it? And he's like, perfect. You know, like, he was, like, waiting for her to tell him no so she can take care of him. Like, all of those, you know, little tidbits. Yeah, and... I just listened to a podcast about the movie Saw. So this whole time I was like, Val, you're in danger. His name is not on this lease. I mean, no one but, knows you're here. Yeah, but she is, you know, like it's. Uh, 
She's going to be on the hook for it is all is all I know. She's going to be on the hook for it. Yeah. Well, and I think the next time we see the two of them, like it really almost blows up immediately in her face of like, you've got the next 12 months of this lease. Good luck. Because she goes to make said dinner and Kenny has not kept up with his calendar. Very unaccountant like of him. Mm-hmm. And went to his kid's game and they went out for ice cream and then he picks up the car phone while his family's in the car. Bold. So glad it's not right now because he would have taken that on Bluetooth. Yeah, on speaker. Yep. And just somehow is smart enough to immediately call Valerie mom. Yeah. See, and this is why I think he's been around the block. Maybe he hasn't cheated, but he's lied. Mm-hmm. You know, like he has built up a comfortability with lying to Diane and Michael. And I mean, Val catches on, but she's like, I mean, they can't hear me. So she's just going to say whatever she wants to say. I, the only thing I liked about that little scene is when Valerie was like, well, let me talk to Diane. Like she does not care at all that he's married or that he has a son. She doesn't care. And so again, that get that that kind of confidence and carelessness only comes from being so young and naive, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like to your point earlier, she's trying to act all confident. Maybe she is somewhat confident, but there's a, an ignorance here of how things work that she is just blowing right past and is ready to just blow this up because Kenny lied to her, which. It's still wrong for him to lie to her. Like, if you're going to keep up your devil life, sir, you got to keep up your devil life. But, yeah, I just, Val's just supreme, like, well, let me talk to her. (laughs) And that night, he leaves his family in the middle of the night to go to Casa Walsh and find her. Yeah, which, yeah, like you said earlier, the boldness of Kenny Bannerman to just walk up to the Walsh house not just any house, but a house that he got a recommendation from and Jim Walsh knocks on the door expecting Valerie, but instead is met with Brandon, who knows him. And Brandon is immediately sus. He's like, huh, I didn't think accountants made house calls. And like Kenny messes up to begin with because Brandon opens the door and Kenny goes, oh, Brandon, pause. Like, I should not have acknowledged that I know you because now you're going to rack your brain to figure out why you know me. Exactly. Because realistically, Brandon hasn't seen Kenny in years. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jim and Cindy have been gone for over a year. But yeah, Brandon recognizes him and Kenny tries to backtrack and Brandon is immediately on it. And then goes to Val and is just like, is there something going on here that uh, I should know about? And again, the confidence. Val's just like, no. And he's like, but you're not going to go see him. And he's like, "Mm, just tell him I went to go get frozen yogurt or go get frozen yogurt or something about frozen yogurt. And Brandon's like, so you're not going to go talk to him. This doesn't seem very (laughs) business-like. Yeah. Doesn't she call it like a business reversal? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I don't either. I did like after all of this, Brandon's just like, 
Uh-huh. And just walks away. Oh, like, he he definitely knows that there is something going on. He may not know all the details, but he's like, I know Valerie and I know there this smells, you know. Yeah. Man. Brandon is gonna be the one that like ends this affair, isn't he? Definitely. Definitely. Like, he's he's the um common denominator. You know, like it I think it would be one thing if it was like I guess it could be Kelly because didn't we hear that Kelly used to babysit Michael or something? Yeah, she was the babysitter. Yeah. But she's been very preoccupied, so Brandon is the only other one who would make sense. I just I wish it would be Val for herself, you know? Oh, same. Same, same. We want all the ladies in this show to choose themselves. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. If every single one of them could have their own I choose me walk away, uh-huh. I'd be fine. As long as that I choose me walk away doesn't end in Colin showing up. Exactly. Oh Unless God. they choose themselves. Val chooses herself. Colin comes back from his spinoff where he's been in prison falling in love with his cellmate. <laughs> and he comes back to make amends and is like, I'm so sorry I hurt you. By the way, this is Jeremy. I don't know why, but I imagine Colin coming back and suddenly being a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every now and then we get cowboy episodes, so. I just had a flashback to Jack McKay in jail when Bill Dylan went to go visit him. And like, that was the first time he was just like, I, I can't even do the voice. I can't. I was going to try. <laughs> hey, boy. <laughs> boy. <laughs> but yeah. Please put that out. That was awful. <laughs> no, it was great. Prison turns you Southern. It's proven. That's what I'm saying. I don't know why. It's like you come out, you got a pair of cowboy boots. You're like, I didn't come in with those. It's like, you come out with them. <laughs> Just go to prison and turn into Johnny Cash. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You come out and all of a sudden you have a giant belt buckle and they give you a hat. You're like, they're like, what do I do with? Oh, I know what to do. It's like you, you're like, what do I do with this? But you're putting everything on properly. <laughs> you like flip the hat and put it on your head, mm -hmm. all fancy, and you're like, I've never done that before. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So Val is still like steaming from that night I mean because she was just like painting her nails or filing her nails or whatever and she seemed super calm so I'm assuming she like was thinking about what she wanted to do next because she feels she felt like she had to make a move so I guess it's the next day mm -hmm. she starts to come in his door opens he thinks it's her his assistant um and he's immediately snarky to her for no reason I mean I guess just from her not going downstairs to see him that night, last night, whenever it was. But he's so snarky. And she immediately just goes kind of like dominatrix on him and is like, no, I, you, I get to tell you when you can apologize. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. I mean, I understand him being snarky to her because – like the power dynamic that's going on yeah. here. He thinks he should have the power and because he basically controls her finances. She's younger than him. He got her an apartment, like all these things. He's like, Ms. Malone, yeah, you're my uh -huh. client. Yeah. And then she's, I don't know. I choose to believe she did not come up with this idea last night because I feel like if you come up with this idea and then you sleep on it, you don't do it the next day. 
Unless Again, I guess she's... you're 21 and not very smart. Well, but also playing a character. You know, like she very much feels like lately she's been a caricature of her actual personality. There's all these little like nuggets of personality traits that she has, like the confidence and kind of like her overall vibe, but she's a caricature at this point. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like this is what we've seen of Val before. She puts on a Val face and goes and does a thing because she uses her body to get people. So she shuts his door and demands that he bang her in his office, which I got, like, I don't get it. I don't get the appeal. The chair didn't look comfortable. The desk is covered in papers there's a woman outside like (laughs) I don't get it there's going to be a stapler in an uncomfortable place I promise you well and yeah like if the chair squeaks at all I feel like her quads were about to be on fire she just Just didn't go to the gym today she was like hmm (laughs) what should I do it's leg day well just think about it like think of the way she like started to position herself realistically the only other place she could be taken is yeah like I guess pushed down on the desk so I just don't know. I don't want to fun. I don't want to picture Kenny Bannerman in any of these positions. Thank you very much. Just put Dylan's face on <sighs> Kenny. Then it's better. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Truly. I finally watched that dark side of the nineties. That's been on my DVR for like a year. Not kidding. And they start with 90210 and just Dylan McKay. And I was just, I melted just to see his scar. face. I don't even remember the scene it was. He opens the door of his house and he's just like wet from the shower and just like, oh, hey. (laughs) Also, this was the point in the episode where I decided that receptionists hold all the power. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Assistants and receptionists because that woman out there knows the appointment that Kenny has, watched Valerie shut that door can absolutely hear what's happening in that room. That door is not soundproof. Yep. And will further hear squeaking or shuffling or whatever and then see her come out in three minutes flushed. God. Like, (laughs) I would actually be totally okay if that woman blew up the affair. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, what if she was, like, really close with um, Diane or something? Or just is a good human and is like, ooh, this is bad. Yeah. Like, it would just be an interesting twist to not be Brandon. Right. I would love it if she just had, like, a sip too much wine at the office Christmas party and just let it all slip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be some sort of holiday party coming up. It's September. Like, if they really wanted to keep this affair going for a couple more months, they could do it. They could. But I think that's the last we see of them, right? I think so. Like, Val has a moment where she just, like, appears in another scene dropping her 8 a.m. classes. Oh, yeah. But I don't know why. Like, Yeah, they said something about, like... Um... She, she gets credit from mm-hmm. running the nightclub, so she gets to drop her 8 a.m., but, like, the whole point of it is that David has someone to talk to before he talks to Carrie Strug. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that Carrie Strug was in this episode. I got so Just excited. Randomly, I'm like, you didn't even build a story around her. You literally had her in here for one scene about three lines. 
Well, she literally just won like the first Olympic gold for American gymnastics at the 96 uh, Mm -hmm. games. And that's the one where she broke her ankle and then did the Mm -hmm. vault. So like, I honestly get the feeling that she was just like, I really like 90210. And they were like, write her in, write her in. I don't care what it is. (laughs) Put her in. Oh, yeah. Put her behind a desk. Hide the broken leg. (laughs) Get her in. I really do wish he, when David was like, do you have your gold medal? She was like, yeah, here. Yeah, look, here it is. Or she just like turned and opened her chest and she's like, I never take it off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from every podcast interview I listen to, everyone that has gold medals is like, I don't know, they're in my sock drawer or something. I think my yeah, parents it's have like, it. They're more excited about their Olympics tattoo than they are their like gold, silver, or bronze medal. <laughs> Oh my gosh. What would have been great is if Carrie Strug was in this episode and then she just like walked past Steve and was just like, Steve? Because <laughs> oh he went gosh. to the Olympics. That's right. And of course he would somehow end up like in a dressing room or something. Absolutely. Steve fails upwards. Yep. Which I guess like speaking of that scene, like that's really the only David solo scene, right? Because everything else he's with Kelly so, yeah, apparently the update for David is that he has officially enrolled back in CU, but he had to register late, so he got really terrible classes. Yeah, like the theories of silent Russian cinema or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, my favorite part about that scene is just her being like, oh, wait, that's full too. You can't have that. <laughs> I loved that woman so much. Oh, man. But yeah, Mary, do you want to tell us about uh, what else happened this week? Brandon determines Steve and the keg boys streaking in front of Chancellor Arnold's is news enough to air on campus television and gravely offends Dean Shaw. She is in contact. No, fuck. She is in constant communication with Chancellor Arnold, demanding the identities and punishment of the perpetrators. Brandon doesn't want to turn over the footage to the university administration to protect Steve, but his refusal will put the future of the school news at risk. Brandon ultimately chooses the news over Steve, but it doesn't actually matter because Tracy, who likes both Brandon and Steve, used a magnet to destroy the footage. She and Brandon cheat kiss about it. Claire thinks Steve should apologize for humiliating her dad, and he almost does, but then it doesn't matter. Claire says he gets no credit for almost doing something, but it might be dress-up day, so who knows. When he says he almost told the truth for nothing, and she's like, well, you almost told the truth for me, and he was just like, okay, what does that get me? Yeah, like immediately like no altruism or any kind of like you know, good human traits involved. He's like, I will do this if I get something in return. My God, Steve. Like, as soon as this happened, I was like, oh, I know how this is going to go. He's like, just going to get away with it, and we're never going to talk about it again until, like, three up uh, three seasons from now when Brandon adds it to the list of broke into the office to change your grades and broke into the office to steal a baseball and yep. went streaking on campus and – showed your penis to a lot of people, including your girlfriend's dad. Like, it's the same old song and dance. Give Steve something else. Like, make him go hang out with Austin and Ryan for all I care at this point. Or even make him tell the truth and make Chancellor Arnold, like, try and cover for him. Or 
punish him and convince the dean not to give him expulsion, right? Or, I don't know, expel him. (laughs) Yeah, I've kept watching Degrassi, and those kids face punishment. Spinner has to work in the cafeteria for, like, two months. He gets detention all the time. It's not hard. Yeah. But not Steve. And... It's not even, like, it's a classic prank, but it's not really a good one. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a prank, either. Like, it's literally, like, has nothing to do with the actual ceremony itself. Like, maybe an appropriate prank would be, like, when they reveal a banner for Spirit Day, have it say something else. Yeah, it's, he says that, like, the pledges were supposed to do it, which I guess makes since it's technically hazing, mm-hmm. but then he gets dared into doing it too, and then they just call it a prank. But it's so dumb, and also the costumes were so very obvious. Like, oh my god, yeah. It's supposed to look like they're wearing shaving cream, but they're very clearly just like giant paper mache diapers. Yes, exactly. Like uh, Maybe they put a layer of shaving cream on just to make it look like it. Did y'all ever see Not Another Teen Movie? Mm-hmm. With, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Chris Evans and the whipped cream? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. All I could think of. It's like, we came so far in like five years. <laughs> I know, right? But, but yeah, the whole like catalyst to this is that Steve and the other Keg brothers run through with their faces and bodies covered in shaving cream and then for some reason they stop and it's because the sprinklers go off and yeah it washes away all the shaving cream and so because brandon and the tv crew were there they got all of the footage yeah and i guess i understand why they came to film it if their main story for the week was the parking lot repaving they were probably like literally anything let's go get chancellor arnold giving a history lesson on the quad Right, and it was really unclear exactly what Chancellor Arnold was, like, what speech he was giving. I don't know. Because we kept focusing on Steve and the film crew and things like that. So, we don't know if this story was supposed to be good or not, but regardless, whenever they do get the footage at the TV station, then they're starting to debate about whether or not they should air it, but also when to air it. Should it be first? Should it be last? Should it be in the middle? Like, where should it go? Which, it is interesting that they just go with this. Like, Brandon has gotten in trouble so many times for not clearing things with the right people when he puts stuff in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why he would just be like, yeah, let's put a bunch of nudity on campus TV. Exactly. Like, and you know they don't have the technology to blur it out, so. Yeah, best case scenario, they cut before anybody Mm -hmm. really saw anything but, like, Chancellor also calls him, like, my good friend Brandon. I know. It's like, you think that, like, your best friend dating the Chancellor's daughter and you and Chancellor being best friends, like, this would have come up that this was a bad look for school. And if you're going to show it on TV, it has to be in a negative light. Exactly. And, yeah. No, you're 100% correct. And so later when Chancellor Arnold is watching the news and sees the footage or sees the package or whatever, oh, my God, (laughs) sees the clip, (laughs) 
Dean Shaw calls, who is a neat, a new, a neen Dean, a new Dean. <laughs> I cannot talk. Um, and apparently they're both outraged that the Steve, good Lord, <laughs> that the TV station covered and featured the menthol men. Yeah. And, you know, Claire has been sitting in the office with her dad through all of this. And it's so interesting. Like, you know, Steve comes to the door and come, like knocks on it and just like tries to act like he didn't do it. Right. He's like, that wasn't me. I love that. She's just like, excuse me. I know what you look like from the waist down. Yeah. Like it wasn't that like she knew his laugh because he was cackling the entire time. No, it's like, oh, no, I know what that looks like. <laughs> also, like this prank dare whatever has Steve written all over it. That boy exactly. is not afraid to show the body. Exactly. And so Claire's mad that Steve humiliated not just Chancellor Arnold in the school, but her. And then when Chancellor Arnold comes out, he's just like, oh, hey, Steve. So clearly he has no idea that it was Steve that did it. But now he lets us know that the dean wants the entire intra-fraternity council charged with sexual harassment. And I gotta be honest. Fair. Yeah. Nudity. (laughs) Unwanted nudity. Yes. Exposing yourself to a public area. Yeah. Like, I 100% get where Dean Shaw is coming from. Like, I kind of wish we had seen her and not just had Chancellor Arnold on the phone with her because I feel like, okay, I feel like having her on screen would have, like, lent to the severity of the situation of, like, Steve could get charged with sexual harassment and you know, have to, you know, announce to people when he moves into a neighborhood. But because she never shows up and because Chancellor Arnold is just trying to talk her down from all of it, it can be a lighter situation. Let's also not forget that if that had happened, this would have been Steve's second accusation of sexual assault or or harassment of some sort. Oh, but we're not supposed to think about that because Kelly stood up for him. Right. It doesn't matter. I literally wrote in my notes after this, don't worry, Steve, you'll fail upwards. Like, all of this was like, what? Sexual harassment? Nope, he'll be fine. Like, I already knew, minute, whatever this was of the show, of the episode, it's like, "Mm, he's fine. No stakes. And, like, literally the next scene, we see him telling Brandon what happened and needing help. And I don't know if he just, like, didn't mention that he could get charged with sexual harassment, but Brandon's just laughing and is just like, oh my God, remember all the other stupid stuff you did? Mm-hmm. And then Brandon's like, I'll do what I can. Like, I'll try. I I'm like, try what he did it. It doesn't, none of it makes sense to me that everyone just keeps forgiving Steve, helping Steve, whatever. I, I kind of loved though when Steve is like, oh, my butt's going to get barbecued. And Brandon just goes, oh, that wouldn't be bad with the teriyaki glaze. Like, yeah, that's dirty and weird, Brandon, and I am into it. (laughs) Oh, Brandon. Well, and then, so, okay, so first we get silly Brandon. mm -hmm. We're about to get ridiculous Brandon. So, because the next scene, (laughs) Chancellor Arnold and him are kind of like, you know, being a little confrontational about it because Arnold's like, you know, I'm really disappointed in you that you would even air this. And then Mark 
like he's so ready to stand up for Steve and for the for running the the um I can't I keep wanting to say package, but I cannot say package. Running the news clip story. We'll Just say, say package. Story. Just say package. <laughs> I love it. And immediately Mark comes in and is like, Don't worry, Chancellor Arnold, we will cooperate fully. And Brandon has the gall to say, well, I called a lawyer at the ACLU and they think that I have a case that this infringes upon journalistic integrity. Sir. (laughs) This made me laugh so hard because like, you know that after Steve tells Brandon all this stuff, he goes to his room and he comes up with like all of his plot points Mm -hmm. and you know, honestly, would not put a past Brandon to actually call the ACLU. Right. Because you know he's got a contact from working in newspapers for however long. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he starts with, like, I got calls from hard copy and I'm not giving it to them. Why do you think I'd give it to you? Right. Doesn't work. The guys were just showing school spirit. It's fine. Doesn't work. Well, I called a lawyer. Doesn't work because Chancellor goes, I also called my lawyer. Right. And then, like, Hail Mary throw, Brandon is just like, we might not even have the tape anymore. It's probably gone, but I'll see what I can do. Yeah, and Arnold's like, what do you mean? And he basically explains that, yes, there's the original, but then they have to make a dub of the tape to basically a copy of it, right? And if they can find it, they'll give it to him and I'm like is Steve really worth this because like I think Chancellor Arnold says at one point well no tape no station so like the whole campus tv station is on the line here and I'm like who's worth this definitely not Steve yeah I mean Mark gets rightfully pissed Mm -hmm. at this he's just like what are you talking about we have a copy and you're giving it to him because yeah like Brandon cannot throw away the entire school TV station for Steve. Correct. It just can't happen. It's not going to. And, you know, to be fair, I think in that exact moment, Brandon realizes it too. Mm -hmm. Because Steve, so used to failing upwards and getting away with whatever he can get away with, is bragging to all these guys that they're going to be fine. And then when Brandon, he's like, I got a guy. And then his guy shows up and Brandon says that he can't do anything about it. And Steve says that how come he has to take the fall and Brandon gets to walk and it's Brandon's fault as much as it's Steve's fault. I literally was like, in what universe is this Brandon's fault? Like, I don't know who wrote these exact lines, but to think that this was gonna land like I don't know I'm so curious what it was like when this episode aired when this kind of stuff was happening on tv and like you know people were sitting at Wednesday eight o'clock watching tv and then during commercial breaks calling their friends to talk about it like Mm -hmm. is anyone calling and being like I can't believe Brandon's not helping Steve like guaranteed there are or were like for sure because I mean I feel like when you're a fan of a television show and especially a fan of specific characters and you're only able to see it week to week and there's not social media, 
all you have is that first impression, right? Like you have that one view. You may never see it again. <laughs> Granted, they started making the box sets, right? And they started like actually putting things in syndication and all of that too. But we know that human memory is very fallible. So it's like whatever you see and then what you believe and then what you remember may not always be an accurate depiction of what actually happened. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> they didn't have podcasts and multiple rewatch blogs quite yet, maybe. They might exactly. have had them at this point, but then like you said, like you have to wait for it to come back through syndication. You can't just go to like five different streaming services and look for it, except this episode. Not yes. on streaming. Yes, correct. Which, there was no musical guest. So was it Carrie? Oh, it could have been. Like, that's the best I can come up with, but I don't totally get why. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of why we wouldn't be able to see this on a stream. Like, yeah, unless it was a just a, a general music ride situation. But I feel like they would have just covered it up with a different song like they usually do. Yeah, because I don't know. Maybe they cut some stuff out. I didn't see how many minutes this episode was. Mm -hmm. But we did not get Nat Busicchio, just a mention. Yeah. And that's not normal. Right. That's why it wasn't on streaming. It goes against his contract. <laughs> oh. Because I literally, like – I say that because the next time you see Steve is at the peach pit and you don't see Nat, but you see Claire come in. And I got to say, Claire wore a lot of green this episode. I think it's because she changed her hair and they knew she'd look good in it. But this is like her second pair of green pants. Yeah. I think I sort of noticed that too. Maybe not the green pants, but just like the palette in general. Did you notice one of her outfits? She looked just like Daphne from Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yes. it's this one because the okay. first one, I thought she looked like the Joker. <laughs> and then like the cartoon one because she was in purple and green. Mm -hmm. And then this one, she had like a paisley top and green pants and she looked just like Daphne. And then I noticed with her hair, she had the mm -hmm. red hair. Mm -hmm. So I was getting really like Sarah Michelle Gellar as Daphne in the live action Scooby-Doo vibes. Yes, 100%. And that's why I thought it was really funny when she says a line about streaking being very 70s. And I'm like, look at what you're wearing this entire episode. <laughs> She's trying to stay on theme to teach Steve a lesson. She's like, look at me. Pay attention. Mm -hmm. Here is a visual representation of what you did that was wrong. <laughs> you are well, out of genre. And also, like, he totally knows that he has apologizing to do because the reason he met up with her here was because it was neutral ground and then tries a line on her. And she does, like, stand her ground. She's like, mm -hmm. no, you have to apologize to my dad. Like, yeah, you have to apologize to me, but you have to apologize to my dad for this to mean anything. Exactly. And then when he, like, kind of pushes back on it, she does say, like, you're bringing down an institution. Like – you are the reason that Panhellenic will lose everything or, you know, be charged with a crime. Exactly. And walks away. That's her kind of I choose me walk away. Yeah. Which then leads us to the TV station where Tracy is bringing Brandon some coffee because I guess he's like burning the midnight oil trying to figure out what to do and mulling over his options 
or whatever it is. And she says that she admires what Brandon said to Mark about kind of like the, I guess, the journalistic integrity and la la la. So then (laughs) she implies that she can help botch the tape with a giant magnet. And and he says no. And I'm like, okay, great. That would be a terrible idea. Steve takes uh, Claire's words to heart, which is surprising, and shows up to talk to Chancellor's receptionist. I'm telling you, the receptionists know it all. They have everything. This, I just love the little back and forth where she says, do you have an appointment? He goes, no, I have a confession. She goes, well, you'll have to wait. He's punishing someone else right now. Mm-hmm. Like she and knows he, all the hot goss. She knows. And then he never confesses. So like, you know, she's just sitting there being like, I got dirt on that student. But the people in the office are Brandon and Mark looking incredibly defeated because they've had to give up the tape. And there's some talk where Chancellor is talking to Dean Shaw about like, don't expel people. And yes, I know about male oppression, but it doesn't matter because the tape is blank. It's just static. And I kind of low key loved when, Brandon was like, well, maybe you need to fast forward a little bit. And then Mark's like, well, no, maybe it was at the very beginning. Just rewind it all the way. And it just gave me such like real memories of rewinding and fast forwarding and pausing and getting through the like staticky bits in a VCR. And oh, it was great. I just had such a sense memory for that. (laughs) That reminds me, one of my friends in elementary school had one of those tape rewind machines where you'd put the tape in and like press it down and press the button it would rewind the tape for you so you didn't have to put it in the VCR and watch the movie backwards mm-hmm. and it would do it super fast so yeah. fast I was always so jealous yep they also had a Betamax Ooh. yeah they were fancy I had a regular VCR yes yeah, I was saying but you know it's kind of perfect because Like, Tracy definitely did it, right? Yes. And the guys have no knowledge. Like, Brandon's Brandon's thinking, like, well, I told her not to do it, so she definitely didn't do it. Like, they can get away with this because they didn't do it. Because I feel like if if it wasn't Chancellor and it wasn't Brandon that showing up with a blank tape, the Chancellor would have been like, you done goofed, no more TV station. Right, exactly. But instead, he's just like, no evidence, no case, which is not how that works. And also not what he said yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, he's totally fine with just there not being any evidence, despite the fact that just 24 hours ago, he demanded that there be evidence. Yeah. And like Brandon makes some comment about Venus being in retrograde, which I don't think is the right planet to be retrograde for this scenario. (laughs) Nope, it's Mercury, but points for trying. Yeah. Not like Chancellor Arnold would know the difference. (laughs) What if he did? What if he was just like, no, it's not. I have my chart right over there. (laughs) But yeah, so basically moral of the story is Steve gets off free again, and he even is about to confess when they come out of Chancellor Arnold's room, or room, office, (laughs) and (laughs) and Brandon is like, no, like, giving him the big, like, you know, cut it out, like, don't say anything, and... He invites them to, like, the keg barbecue or whatever. Yeah, which is also weird. All Mm -hmm. the keg brothers are going to be so mad when Steve shows up and is like, I had to invite the chancellor 
to the keg party. Yeah, like, thanks, dude. You invited a narc. <laughs> Although, I guess if your options are no keg house mm-hmm. and Chancellor has to come to one barbecue, I guess that's what you take. For sure. Also, how is Steve still in keg? I don't like, know. He almost legit got kicked out once, I think. Yeah, because of the whole John Sears thing. Yeah. And, and then just the like. the ping pong ball thing or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. The silent vote where nobody's allowed to give a statement. Mm-hmm. Why does anyone want to be in Greek life in this show? <laughs> Kelly's the only one that has it right. She's like, no, I I bailed because I was in a cult, but like I really bailed because. Yeah, because I have they a suck. Opinion. Yeah. But yeah, just to wrap that little thing up with Steve and Brandon, like they don't really say what happens, but we know because Tracy does bring out a giant magnet <laughs> out of her I, purse. Yeah, Brandon just because that's not a little magnet. <laughs> yeah, like it's huge magnet. And yeah, Claire and Steve make up and maybe it's dress up day. And Brandon is like, what do I get for winning or something? I don't know. Or what is... No, what does Tracy get for when? Whatever. They kiss each other on the cheek, and I hate it because Brandon used Susan's words on Tracy. Wait. Yes. Yeah, Brandon used Susan's word on Tracy that she used on him when he's like, I don't really dabble in workplace romance. Well, yes, you do. This is totally, like, they just keep doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. Susan was a replacement for Andrea, and now Tracy is a replacement for Susan. Like, they just keep... Being like, Brandon has one type, and like, we're getting slowly and slowly through them so that he can get to Kelly, who's his real type. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. And like, I'm sorry, I am still not over Bruzen. No. <laughs> like, thank not God all. I am watching Buffy concurrently so that I can still have Emma Caulfield on my screen. And she's so good. In season six, she gets a new haircut. <laughs> great (laughs) it's it's longer and blonder so like she's just like speaking of types moving more into my type (laughs) if she just got like three inches shorter i'd be i'd be all set i just love a short blonde (laughs) can't help it but yeah they they kiss each other on the cheeks and tracy makes some comment about like my mom loves kissing or something yeah. It's, this is weird. And I don't really like Tracy. I mean, literally the first scene of this episode is Tracy saying that she doesn't want to cover Chancellor at Spirit Day. How come there can't be a riot for ratings? <laughs> I thought she was drunk the entire episode. She could have been. I mean, yeah, to be fair, they never resolved that for her being like, I never do this. Nope. But like. Who is this woman? Well, and now that I have to, like, figure out who this writer was, because I'm like, what was going on? Um, He does write, his name is Phil Sabbath, and he does end up writing 11 total episodes of the show. He wrote Squash It. He wrote Angels We Have Heard on High. He wrote Ray of Hope. He wrote Flying, the Joe in his heart problem. Airplanes. Um, 
and pledging my love. He still has one, two, three, four, five, six more episodes to write, including a two-part finale. Shut Bless up. him. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, now that I'm, like, hearing us all talk about this, this writing was crazy. <laughs> it's so much. and It's all over the place, man. It's all over the place. And a lot of it, like... <sighs> There's, like, hints of it that make sense, but it's, like, yeah. you know, here are your flashcards go with it of, like, Steve gets in trouble but gets away with it. Valerie uses her body to get a man, and it's weird. Like, Yeah. Like, the only part of the episode that I, I actually really enjoyed was what we're about to talk about with the Kelly storyline because I finally actually felt like Kelly was back to her regular personality that we're used to. You know, like, we've too long seen her as petty, as, like, you know, making bad choices, like, all that stuff. And finally, like, we get the Kelly Taylor that we know and love. So let's talk about her. Yes, please. Real quick, before we get sad, um, which do you guys prefer, platonic mouth kissing or non-platonic cheek kissing? Definitely the non-platonic cheek kissing. Like... I uh, cannot with the platonic mouth kissing. Like, I cannot imagine going up to John and Michael and kissing them on the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and see, like, same. I cannot imagine platonically kissing anyone on the mouth. But even as this scene was happening, I was like, when is the last time I've kissed John on the cheek? Literally, like, I think Nate and I kissed each other on the cheek today. Because most of the time when I do something cute, I'm, I pat. I pat oh. my cheek. And I'm like, right there. See, that makes sense. I just was thinking, like, John has a beard. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Nate has no beard. But, like, I would even platonically kiss my friends on the cheek a million times over before I then went for the mouth. Like, I would much rather kiss you guys on the mouth before I kiss John and Michael <laughs> on the mouth. That's probably yeah. the best. And I'm surprised, quite frankly, as many times as we hung out with alcohol involved that it hasn't happened. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely been known to, like, forehead kiss my friends while I'm drunk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forehead kiss by anyone but Brandon? Totally into. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, somehow I just feel like it would come off really, like, condescending from Brandon, which I think is, like, my internal Mm. loathing of season one Brandon. Like, I just can't let it go. See, I think my first thought when you're like anyone other than Brandon, I was thinking the reason is because his mouth would open too wide and so you're like <laughs> suctioning your forehead. <laughs> you just have a giant like hickey on your forehead. <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, on when you have to stick the little like shades on a car window in the back seat, <laughs> the little suctions, it's just like... <laughs> yeah Tracy should be lucky that he didn't get stuck yeah <laughs> she's like I have to go to class um like, why can is we... my entire cheek wet <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is fair she gets a cheek kiss and comes back for more later although I do think we have determined that like Susan fixed him 100% yeah oh yeah or they just had the proper mouth chemistry <laughs> What if it was just like in high school, there were people behind the camera that were like, no, no, more, more, give us more. 
And then Jason Priestley takes a really good direction. <laughs> Jason Priestley becomes producer and he's like, enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to eat a face. <laughs> oh, All right. Let's get sad. Kelly and David take Jimmy to a service for Rosh Hashanah before his health takes a turn for the worse. Kelly spends time with Jimmy before he passes and learns that she was his first real friend since he lost Gordon. Kelly is heartbroken and angry when he's gone, but David is there to sit with her in her grief and assure her that she did a lot for Jimmy in the short time they knew each other. I fully expected that they were going to take Jimmy away from us very quickly, Mm -hmm. and I am so sad about it. Oh, so sad. Like, it doesn't even matter. Jimmy made such a big impact in basically three episodes, four episodes. Which, I mean, that's perfect. Like, this is one of those things where you just know there was good writing, there was good chemistry between the actors, there was a good, you know, casting decision made with this guy where, yeah, yeah, he wasn't even in those full three. Like, these weren't about him. He was Mm -hmm. maybe in, like, what, 30, 40 minutes total? Yeah, and he didn't even know the whole group. You know, like, obviously, they all came to see him at his performance, but, like, it's not like we got any scenes where he was just part of the group. It was really kind of special and, like, precious that it was just Kelly's friend. I mean, Mm -hmm. we got to see David kind of interact a little bit because of his Jewish faith, but the fact that this was kind of something that was just Kelly's, it was almost treated with a little bit more care, I think. And mm-hmm. so that probably was also super, like, the reason why it was super impactful also. Yeah. Well, and I think we talked about this probably a couple of episodes ago since we did the, like, bonus episodes. Everything's kind of running together. But, like, we always want people to have friends outside the group. And we wanted Kelly to have a good experience outside the group because her last ones were cult, drugs, stalker, in that order. And Allison. And Allison. Yeah. Like, she has had a rough go of it forever. Yeah. And so she finally meets this guy who is just her friend. It is completely platonic, but like immediate best friends. It's like mm-hmm. meeting another part of your soul kind of exactly. a thing. Exactly. And she even like wants to make sure that she's taking care of him in ways that he needs to be taken care of. Like she takes an interest in the fact that he had mentioned that he was Jewish. And so she's like, Hey, isn't it Jewish new year? You know, like, should we do something for that? Do you want to do something for that? And, you know, we still get a little mix in there about his magic tricks and that he's never going to teach her the queen's trick because a magician never reveals the secrets. Right. And it was cute though, that he's like, well, Gordon actually taught it to me like that. That was adorable. And then it was really sad because Jimmy basically tells Kelly, like, you know, I essentially shut myself off from people when Gordon died because I didn't want my friends to see me the way they saw Gordon at the very end. So Mm -hmm. we're getting a lot of clues very quickly that Jimmy is on a steep decline. And he, while he is thankful for Kelly's friendship, he just hasn't been able and hasn't allowed himself to be friends with a lot of people because of this. Yeah. I mean, literally like most of what I wrote for that scene was like, this is foreshadowing. It's cute, but it's foreshadowing and I hate Mm it. I know. It makes me so sad. And, you know, I love that. Yeah. She's like, 
taking an interest in his life and wanting to, you know, go to Rosh Hashanah services with him because she says at some point that she's a Protestant or something. And so she's like, oh, my brother David is also Jewish. Like, we'll go with him. And then when they get out of services, you know, she's asking them questions. She's engaging. It it was adorable and it felt so educational. Oh, it really did. I didn't know. But it felt educational. So this was like how we know that something like this can be taken with care because just last episode when we had Kelly's exposure to Jimmy's blood, the explanation of how you can and cannot contract AIDS by the doctor was very much like PSA. Like mm-hmm. here are the rules and I'm reading to you, reading them to you like it's a bulleted list. With this, it felt very much like, yeah, let me tell you about this holiday, about why this is important and all of the details in between without feeling like it was just like, here's a rap sheet of what you got to say, now go say it. Yeah. And it helped like they split it up between David and Jimmy, who are mm-hmm. both very like caring with Kelly because sometimes that she asked the questions, they were very leading and very clearly like you are reading off a script, but it was cute and I loved mm-hmm. it. Um, and it was also really interesting because I just watched that Dark Side of the 90s thing, and Gabrielle Carteris is Jewish. Andrea mm-hmm. Zuckerman was Jewish. And she says in it, like, favorite line of the whole thing. I have not finished it. But favorite line of the whole thing. She goes, Middle America gets blamed for a lot. Like, But I guess she had been wearing, like, a Jewish necklace. Mm-hmm. And they kept telling her, you can't wear that. And she was like, well, how come I can't wear it when other people can wear crosses and we can do, like, Mm. religious stuff for Christianity? And they were like, middle America, you can't do that. But so I guess she, like, took some sort of stand and they just took all religious iconography out of anybody's costuming. Like, wow. Like, okay, you can't wear it, but, like, the Christians also can't wear their crosses because you have a point. Wow. But so it's interesting that when she was on the show, they said she couldn't do that. And we did, you know, have stories about Judaism, like Grandma Rose was in the Holocaust kind of a thing. And the whole Dia de los Muertos, like. Yeah. And, like, it just feels like the show grew from being, like, you can't even wear this to, like, they literally went to Rosh Hashanah services. We didn't see it. And, like, nobody speaks Hebrew in this episode. But I also can't imagine trying to teach someone a Hebrew prayer. Like. Right. Nothing is more funny than trying to go to, like. Passover and all the kids who don't feel like reading Hebrew are trying to read the phonetic oh. and it, just butchering it. Oh, that's been me in my life. I never learned Hebrew. Hey, Hebrew's tough, man. This also feels like an amazing time to bring up the Instagram DM that we got because. All right. So this may be a spoiler if anybody else has not watched this show and like followed along or listened to other podcasts or anything so like maybe skip ahead but uh we got a dm that says kelly and mark become a thing which obviously you guys pointed out how they go about achieving this in the plot in real life jenny did not like the actor and wanted him off the show so she went to the higher ups about it aaron spelling made up a story that the guy was anti-semitic and they kicked him off the show. Whoa. And apparently this has been corroborated by people on the show. 
Wow. So like I saw that DM and then we're having this like very Jewish episode and I was like, oh my gosh, how is this timing just like working out? Interesting. Well, do we know if Aaron Spelling is, I mean, not that it matters. You don't have to be Jewish, Jewish to appreciate when somebody is being racist or, or, you know, against religion and things like that. But it, I want, I wonder if there's an added thing there that he was like, let me, let me come up with a storyline that a makes sense. And also let's make Jimmy Jew. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. How do we rope in the Jew, the Judaism into the storyline to then spill into that? Yeah. Like, it's one of those things that I can't even begin to conjecture on other than mm-hmm. like repeat rumors that I've heard about other things. But like, you know, we remember that there have been conversations that Donna could not get with Deshaun because right. of what Aaron Spelling thought. And like, right. let's blame middle America for whatever. There was also a moment where uh, on Circus with the Stars, Gabrielle Carteris goes to hug Alfonso Ribeiro uh, Carlton from the Fresh mm-hmm. Prince and she did it in rehearsals and they were like that's great just like don't do that when we actually shoot the show because oh my like god. people don't want to see you guys together oh my god yeah so then she kissed him <laughs> at a girl which she says she told him in advance i assume he was like totally on board with it he was not in the dark side of the 90s thing with her um I assume he was not like, uh, you're making me a pawn and I'm not into it. And then she did it anyway. Like yeah. they show the video. He's smiling the whole time. He's also an actor. But I just love it. Yeah. That's she was just like. president. <laughs> right? She was just like, yeah, they said I couldn't hug him. So I kissed him. Interesting. So, okay. So like Mark, the TV guy, when he suspiciously goes away, or I guess we will know why. Yeah. And how, I guess now. But oof. Yeah, I guess there had been some whole story written for him or they had like, you know, planned out the arc of the season and then Aaron Spelling called a meeting in his office and was like, he's anti-Semitic and I want him off my show. I mean. Also feels like all the times that people get fired and just called difficult. Right. Well, and the fact that Jenny Garth was like, no, I don't like him. Like she clearly holds a lot of power. It's it sounds like there is so much behind the scenes drama that like you know the show's been off the air for 20 years may or may not have happened but you also think about Jessica Alba being told not to make eye contact with people. Mhm. Physical fights happening like it's wild and yeah so just like seeing this story and how great it plays out on TV mm-hmm. and then getting DMs like that and watching documentaries where people are like it wasn't like that behind the scenes yeah just kind of blows my mind yeah absolutely because like you know some other stuff happens throughout the day like after Rosh Hashanah you know Jimmy goes his way David goes his way Kelly goes home and like kind of hangs out with Donna for a little while but the next time she goes to Friendship House she doesn't immediately see Jimmy And she asks where he is, and no one will tell her. Yeah, it's actually Hal, who has been very standoffish to Kelly in the last few episodes, who says, like, you better go talk to Linda, who's probably the volunteer supervisor, something like that. 
And obviously Kelly is like freaking out. You know, she's going worst case scenario. And she goes to talk to Linda and basically she says like, you know, he's been spiking fevers and he's taken a turn for the worse. And, you know, he may not last the day. And mm-hmm. Kelly immediately is like, can I see him? And so I didn't notice this until the final scene that we'll get to in a little bit with, with Kelly um, about Jimmy. But if you notice, Jenny's eyes underneath are puffy almost the whole episode. And I first noticed it in this scene. And I'm always amazed at actors who cry, who have to cry over and over and over in scenes because obviously they do more than one take unless it was just perfect, which never happens. But then you have to do coverage and blah, 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 blah. I'm always amazed because when I cry, <laughs> my face gets red, my eyes get puffy, and my eyes get very red. Like, mm-hmm. so you know I've been crying or, or like I, I cannot hide that I've been crying because my eyes physically get red. This was the first time I've ever noticed an actor in 90210, specifically Jenny, because she cries a lot, that she was getting puffy. So, and especially the final scene, I'm like, man, you've been crying so much. And it felt genuine. It didn't feel like manufactured tears. And so when she goes in to see Jimmy and she immediately starts crying, she's literally wiping tears from her chin. Those are real. It was just, it was hitting me. This whole scene was hitting me. Like, I honestly, I wrote one line Mm -hmm. through the whole time. Because, yeah, like, she, they are in the scene. Like, yes, he, you know, has had all this makeup done to make him look, like, really sick. But... Yeah, it seems like everything going on with her is authentic. It's not like they sprayed some stuff in her eyes to make her cry or, you know, whatever you do. And, like, they just crush it. And then, oh, my gosh, when he asks for his deck of cards so he can show her the card trick that she asked for, and that's how, like, we know. We're like, Mm -hmm. this is it. He's showing her the card trick, and he just, like, does it for her. It was perfect. It was a perfect trick. Like, it was a perfect – like – I even tried to watch it and it's like, how do you do it? (laughs) But like the fact that Kelly was like, nope, nope, I can't. Like, I know what you're doing and I cannot watch this. And Jimmy gets in some really sweet words about how Kelly, he won't be like, he won't be alone now. He can die now because he, he had Kelly and he gives her the advice, like never hide your heart because you, you know, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're going to become friends with. Um, all of that stuff. And, oh, it just, it was just getting, like, her face was, like, getting puffier and her tears, you could see them streaming down, like, and the fact that she kept having to wipe them from her chin, I'm just, like, that is the sign of when not just when somebody's crying heavily, but have been, but crying a lot to the point where you don't have a tissue. You mm-hmm. can't wipe that tear that wipes down your, rolls down your cheek and it gets to your chin and you're, like, no, this kind of, like, feels weird. I gotta wipe it off. Like, oh, it was just, it was, get, oh. Uh, well, yeah, and you've already got, like, the tear, like, riv- yes. rivulets that go down to your chin. Like, mm-hmm. I get those when I sweat constantly. Oh, God, same. So that's how I know. <laughs> but, like, yeah, they it's just, like, once it starts, they're just going to hit your chin, and then they're going to roll down the edge of your chin, and it's going to mm-hmm. be so uncomfortable and salty, and you're just, like, you can't do anything about it, and you can't leave to go get a tissue because Jimmy is right here, and it was and- oh, so sad. It makes me so, so sad. And then the next time 
we see her, like, it's happened, right? Mm -hmm. And she's just at the beach apartment crying and looking at the photo of her and Jimmy because he told her to always, like, get the memories and have the photo. Like, the tears were killing me. Like, I do wonder, did Jenny go through a loss of a friend or a family member due to AIDS, you know, I mean, or even just cancer or something, you know, I, I, I bet you would be hard pressed, you know, to not know somebody that was affected by the AIDS pandemic epidemic. And I just wonder, like, did this hit really close to home for her? Yeah. Well, and you think about like, you know, there are, I just read uh, Jeanette McCurdy's book, Mm-hmm. Where, you know, she was a child actor and one of the big things that, like, was her source of pride that she got to put on her CV was that she could cry on cue mm-hmm. because she was taught, like, think of something sad. And so she would literally picture, like, my brother dies. And yeah. then when that stops working, she thinks of her grandma dying. And then when that stops working, she thinks of her mother dying. Mm-hmm. And, like, so you have that where, yeah, even if, like – whatever's happening on the screen didn't actually happen to you. You're thinking about how it could happen to you. Mm -hmm. Like someone in your family could die. I mean, like when I, when we watched the body and I was telling you that like they had a really hard time filming that because you're acting out your mom dying. Exactly. And yeah. uh, Yeah. I just, it always makes you wonder when you get this kind of visceral reaction What's going on? I mean, literally in last week's episode, or I guess this week's episode of Drama Queens, a pivotal character dies and it was somebody that one of the actresses was very close to. And she was like, she couldn't even reconcile it because she's like, she's not dead. Like in real, like in real, this actress is not dead, but here she was on my screen. Like I knew we were losing her, but I couldn't separate it in my mind and it felt like I was really losing her in real life and so everything you see there was real and I was just like oh like it just punches you right in the gut you know well and then David shows up who is like the perfect person to just be like oh you thought it was bad it gets worse Mm -hmm. because like any of her friends could have been there but David's, like, the only other one that actually spent time with Jimmy, even mm-hmm. if it was literally, like, yesterday. Yeah. But he has that added thing of, like, I know that his, like, Jewish faith was something that y'all had had a conversation about. So I brought you a yardside candle. And they don't go into the whole educational thing of it of, like, here's when you light it, here's what you do, da 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 Because that's not what this is about. But mm-hmm. he, like, helps her with it to – light it, like, give her the prayer that you say, like, and then he just sits with her while she, like, does her thing. I know. He really showed up in a good way here. Which hasn't happened in a while, so thank goodness for that. But, like, yeah, this episode really just, like, punched you in the gut right at the end. I know. And, yeah, because that's how the episode ends. I know we have a little bit more to talk about with some of the other folks in the episode, but still it was just, you know, having it end, it almost <laughs> kind of felt like a Buffy ending where it, sometimes it just ends. And yeah. it, you know, I think it was an appropriate ending and it was again, 
this storyline was very, very well done. You know, sometimes there was some awkwardness. Sometimes there was, you know, some kind of tiptoeing, like walking on eggshells a tidbit. But that's okay. It's a very delicate and was at the time a very delicate situation to begin with. So because of all of that, I actually think it was just done really well. And I really appreciate the storyline. I just wish we could have had Jimmy longer. Yeah. And it it's one of those things where like they handle one thing really well and then everything mm-hmm. else is just kind of like Steve huh? went streaking. Yeah. At the bet. same time as like somebody's new best friend dies, Steve went streaking. Yeah. And got away with it. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, it – we chose not to end where the episode ends because it is such a sad ending and instead Mm -hmm. went with sorority rush. So, Mary, what else happened this week? Donna recruits Danny, a jock, to pledge Alpha House, but the president, Ellen – doesn't want her there for not even thinly veiled homophobic reasons that because she's an angel, Donna can't pick up on. She and Kelly give Danielle a makeover before her second interview. Ellen changes her tune, but Danielle's accepted a bit at a much kinder sorority. Danielle pulled a pretty woman. Well, and uh, she's all that and a, like, all of the 90s. Oh, you take off her glasses. What? She's beautiful? Just, ugh. Yeah, I was not excited to see a makeover story in this. Even if Danny is, like, excited to be included in all of this because this is a part of her life that it seems like she's wanted but that she hasn't gotten to experience. But, like, I just want to get into it because I'm going to have to complain about as we go along or, like, work through my feelings yeah I'll just let you know I was very personally triggered by this storyline so (laughs) and like oh okay okay so go go ahead dive in so we find out that Donna is the rush chair this year for alpha and she is hating rush she thinks everyone is terrible she literally says hi I'm Cindy Satan and I'm majoring in demonology (laughs) just perfect this isn't Buffy I know (laughs) but It turns out this, like, super pretty blonde basketball player is working at the uh, student union and comes to bust their table. And Donna is just like, you could fit. You should come rush Alpha. And she's, like, actually excited about it. Yeah. Like, she makes this comment, like, I didn't think that y'all rushed jocks, which is Mm -hmm. so stupid and stereotypical. Yes. Which then literally becomes true because Ellen is just like, I wouldn't want someone like that in the shower with me or like using the same bathroom. Yeah. Like, and yeah, literally. Truly. Yeah. She says, I don't care for the athletic type sharing my bathroom, if you know what I mean. And it's like, okay, which part do you have a problem with? The fact that she is in better shape than you are or might, bold assumption, like girls. Like, well, which part and like yeah i i saw the homophobia in this and then it's like immediately dropped and never picked back up or addressed Mm -hmm. but my first thought which tells you where my head's at was like she's too sweaty yeah like are you gonna be upset that she's gonna like go to take a shower and have sweaty clothes that you have to smell like 
Right. Like literally she, she just came in from a basketball game and you're just in there like crimping your hair. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This is literally what I think like where I feel like Donna's head went immediately. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Donna Donna doesn't realize it, you know, like because like you said, she's a freaking angel on earth. So she's just thinking, oh, you just play basketball a lot. You're just tall. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Like I can't, like I cannot with the storyline because I, full disclosure, I have nothing against Greek life. I have some things against Greek life, <laughs> but it was just personally not for me. Not because of any other reason other than I just did not. It didn't appeal to me when I was in college, so I never rushed. I never got into it. Never once had a regret, 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 regret about that. But I was and still am a very, very big tomboy. And so things like makeup, doing your hair, like dressing up, like makeovers, all that could not be further from what I would ever want to spend my time on. So the fact that she, the fact that they were trying to make it seem like she was really interested in that, but because she was a jock meant that she wasn't exposed to that. I was like, okay, you can't bounce a ball and be pretty. Is that what they're trying to say here? Even if you want to be pretty, you just can't. It's like you've got like four thumbs. Like, what no, does this mean? They literally say that. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm amazing at basketball. I guess I'm going to have to learn to live without being a babe. And I just, like, about lost my mind because I was like, girl, you just wait until, like, <laughs> five years from now when everyone is hot. <laughs> like, but like, literally just wait until Alex Morgan <laughs> becomes famous and you'll change your mind. Well, and, like, in every single way. Like, yeah, I'm much yeah. more, like – following soccer players I can name like seven basketball players if I really try but like I'm not gonna because it'll embarrass me I can do it for you just ask me and I'll do it. <laughs> but like think of all the different ways that like a soccer team shows up to things like Alyssa mm -hmm. Nair Alex Morgan Megan Rapino, like all of these women dress differently to fit the styles that they have and like I think it's been like a whole thing of like you can watch basketball players when they're in high school, this is, I don't know if this is still true now, but you watch like these women in high school and their hair is done. They go through the, you know, WNBA draft, like really like girly. And then as soon as they get in the WNBA, they're like, oh, I can dress like how I want to and mm -hmm. still be like hot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I just hate that. Like, like I'm totally on board if Danny wanted to wanted to be interested in this just never had the Fair. outlet I'm fine with it I just don't like that they're applying that or implying sorry they're implying that because she is tall and because she is really good at basketball that that means she can't or couldn't like the fact that people are so mean to her including her family for that matter that mm -hmm. they have ingrained this in her that she can't she has to choose between being pretty and playing a sport something that she has been god-given talent is so messed up marta wears a bold red lip when she plays soccer tina thompson does that right now or used to when she played for like 20 years in the WNBA. bold lip every time and it was awesome yeah poor canelo's dose but like no, she has this conversation with Donna. So they do a little, like a full on makeover. She comes yeah. to the beach apartment, puts on a robe, takes off all of her makeup, like just puts her hair down. Like it's just laying like flat, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they take before Polaroids. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
literally the only time I'm okay with before Polaroids is when you're doing like, I don't know, drastic, like I'm trying to check out what my biceps look like or something. Like, yeah. honestly, this whole time she's just standing there like, you know, very light makeup. I'm like, she's beautiful. What before? This is literally, this is like the Princess Diaries where you're like, yeah. it's Anne Hathaway. Now it's Anne Hathaway with a blowout. And contacts. Like, yeah, I I could not for the life of me figure out what they were going to change on her. <laughs> and like, to go back to not another teen movie, literally they pull out the ponytail and take out the glasses and she's done. Yeah, I do love though when, <laughs> Kel- <laughs> sorry, when Donna was do- starting to work on her hair and Kelly's just like, Donna, what are you doing? <laughs> she does the exact same hairstyle. She's like, what? I like I this look. <laughs> and she's just got her head on top of her head. So it's just, <laughs> she just kind of like nods her head a little bit. And I do appreciate, like, when Kelly finds out everything that's going on, this is when she says, like, this is why I step back from Alpha and, like, why I don't go more. And then after they take the photos, Kelly's like, you're in really good hands. But then they have the back and forth of, like, well, what are we going to do besides that the women's movement back 20 years? Mm -hmm. Because she says, like, it's not the makeover itself. It's the purpose behind the makeover. Exactly. And – I will say, like, kudos to the writers for at least making Donna not, like, even, like, again, it's such a fine line because, like, Danny wants to do this. She just Mm -hmm. hasn't had the means and the resources to do it and the encouragement. And Donna is that person. She's the person that does, like, hey, like, if you want to make her, I'm really good at it. I really enjoy that stuff. I can teach you all about it. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate not only that she's being there for Danny, but then she's standing up to Ellen and the other alphas being like, hey, we should be friends, not clones. You know, like we should like help each other and be there for each other and support each other, not just like fit everybody into this cookie cutter shape of what people think we should look like. Yeah. And, you know, we they they go about this whole reveal of. We get back to Alpha House. We find out everyone has voted positively for Danny, that she'll be an asset to the house. We absolutely have to have her. Then they do the reveal. She comes out. I really think the biggest difference is she's in a dress and she's yeah. wearing lip gloss. Like Totally. She just like was no think longer that's in it. a tank top and shorts and she was in a dress. It's like literally mean girls. It was like you can't wear your yeah. hair in a ponytail. We don't allow that. Yeah. Like – sweatpants are all that fits me right now like (laughs) and like now she wants to go by Danielle they said like oh if you had shown this much poise last time we wouldn't have needed to do this and Mm -hmm. she's just like you know that's funny that you mentioned that because I'm actually going to a different house okay bye yeah and I do love that like I love that she didn't just like you know, walk back into Alpha and immediately accept the bid and that Donna's in full support. She's like, yeah, you did, girl. That's right. I love it. You look down to my sorority and we're going to change things and you go be where you're accepted fully and not had to like, you know, do all this nonsense. Yeah. And then Donna quits being the rush chair. She was like, I did not have fun and this was mean. I'm out. Yes. So all in all, I'm fine with the storyline itself. I just don't necessarily love every piece of it. Like, but I appreciate that they, you could tell that they clearly thought this was like a touchy thing. So they were trying to add some elements in there that were like positive to show, no, no, we're not trying to say Danielle or Danny at the time was ugly or mm-hmm. whatever. We're just trying to say that it was hard in the 90s or whenever or for whatever sometimes 
for a jock to be in a sorority. So let's let's change that narrative. Yeah, like literally she's all that comes out after this episode. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah, wow, now. wow. And because I was saying like, yeah, you've got she's all that, you've got the breakfast club. I mean, the the makeover trope yeah, has existed in the world popular. forever. Oh, and yeah. I feel I'm like glad this, we're getting away from it. Same. And I'm really glad that, you know, at points, Danny said, like, this is what I really want. I just never had the chance to learn. Correct. Yeah. Again, if they had not gone that route, I would have been very upset. <laughs> yeah. Very upset. And now I really, like, okay, when she offers Donna courtside season tickets to the basketball games, I died. I got jealous. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was just like, Donna, please go. Please let me see you do courtside fashion. Like, does she know how expensive this can be? <laughs> Even for, you know, collegiate women's basketball that wasn't, I mean, I know it's a made-up university, but it's so expensive. Yeah, like, I was so jealous. And Donna is just, just like into it. You know she's going to go. Oh, for sure. For sure. And she's going to make Kelly go and Claire go. Claire would probably... Kelly and Claire both would go. To be fair, totally I feel like I feel like Steve and Brandon would go. Like yeah, they'd probably make some comments of like, uh, women's sports. They're not even like Steve would say something gross. But mm -hmm. when it gets down to it, that is courtside basketball. Exactly. And free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, Steve would definitely care that they were free. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the episode. We had some weird stuff, had some really good stuff, but all in all decent episode um we also learned some interesting behind the scenes stuff so hope you guys have more of that coming um so next week we have season seven episode six it's called housewarming mary any thoughts who what that could be um it's got to be something about val's little new apartment or something but it's a secret yeah <laughs> Like, I'm trying to think of what it could be. Like, she's going to tell somebody. Yeah, she has to. I hope she has a party and um, Kenny shows up to bang and <laughs> he's like, who are all of these people in our secret apartment? And he'll, like, realize that she's 20 and go <laughs> yeah. be with his wife or something. Oh, my gosh. Well, as long as we can get, like, a wrap up to the Kenny storyline soon, I'll be happy. <laughs> Pretty please. That's all I want. <laughs> oh, so, man. The idea that Kenny has lasted longer than Jimmy is a cruel oh, God. <sighs> Travesty. Now my heart's broken all over again. Right? What a way to end it, guys. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> well, unfortunately, next week, you guys have to hear us talk about Kenny again and not Jimmy. Um, but until then, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Back2Podcast and also don't forget to leave us an email if you want to, just leaving us your thoughts, questions, your comments, your concerns, anything you want really at all. That behind the scenes stuff was awesome. So keep that coming at back2podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And also don't forget to rate, uh, review, subscribe, whatever the actions you can take to engage with us on all the podcast apps and wherever you get your podcast, please do that. Um, it really helps us get the word out and we can get more episodes out to you guys um, and more people. So make sure you tell your friends and family all about us. We would very much love that. 
Um, and if you do leave us a comment or a DM or an email or a review, we will shout you out on this here podcast. So we would love for you guys to do that. We'd really, really appreciate it. So from all of us at Back to Podcast, I would love to have courtside seats to see you on his basketball. I'm Cindy Satan, and I'm majoring in demonology. I gotta go non-platonic cheat kiss someone I work with. Bye. Bye. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>